Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week we, we saw um, how, or at least I touched on a little bit about how oftentimes uh, we are spiritually uh, blind, spiritually deaf, spiritually mute, and that is often really it is our own doing. And oftentimes we find ourselves thinking we are more clever than we are, and it wouldn't you know it, our text today has a great example of that. That within our text today of the Good Samaritan, we uh, have Jesus being confronted by a man who thinks he is very clever. Now, you may be able to insert whatever lawyer joke you want to there, because he happens to be a lawyer, right? Uh, but he is not the kind of lawyer that you might see on TV. Right? He's not having you dial all fours just to get to his phone or something like that. I don't know that guy, nothing against the guy, but he's not that guy, all right? Um, he's, he's someone who knows the law. He is someone who knows God's law. And yet... There was a practice at the time where the rabbis would sit and they would talk and talk and talk and talk about the law and how do we apply it and what does it mean for it to say this, that, or the other? And what about this kind of circumstance? Is it, is it uh, okay for someone in this instance to do this, that, or the other, right? I mean, where Jesus gets in trouble, well, he gets in trouble with the Pharisees because they will ask, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And things like that. And he goes ahead and he heals on the Sabbath because if, which one of you would have a, uh, a would have, would have their ox or donkey fall into a ditch on the Sabbath, would you not get him out? What about if your son fell into a well? Would you just leave him alone in the Sabbath? Say, oh, sorry, son, you know the rules can't help you out, right? It's all about talking about how the law makes sense, how the law should be lived out, which is a good thing, right? We shouldn't just take the Ten Commandments at face value necessarily because then we could easily be clever on the other side and say, you shall not murder. Okay, I don't really do that. But then when we examine it closely, we find out what even Jesus means that even Harboring hate within your own heart is killing them within your heart. So he is not engaging in a bad exercise, right? He is trying to flesh things out. But, again, he does things in the wrong way. He puts Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit, to inherit eternal life. That in and of itself is a strange question. You don't inherit, you don't do anything to be given something like an inheritance, right? That would be like saying, um, I'm, I, I did something to have the parents that I have that will leave me something when they die, right? It doesn't make any sense. So he's starting things off on the wrong foot. He's doing exactly what St. Paul says not to do from our text from Galatians, right? 
For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise, right? So Jesus doesn't say, you've got it all wrong, man. It's not about the law. It's about the gospel. What does he do? He intensifies the law. He says, okay, if you think you can do something to be given something freely, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And then the lawyer rightly responds like we might when we say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, he might have rushed through it like I just did, like we tend to do, not slowing down and seeing the emphasis on you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself, if that's not enough, right? He misses the point. And Jesus doesn't engage with him and say, well, what do you mean by all? What do you mean by your heart, your strength? What do you mean by this, that, or the other? He just says, that's exactly right. Do this and you will live. And then the lawyer's not satisfied enough and desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? As if he was able to do all those things that come before loving your neighbor. He wants to justify himself to pick and choose who he's going to show love to. He can't pick and choose his God, but maybe he can pick and choose his neighbor. And so Jesus replies with this well-known parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, it always helps to go back to understanding what a parable is for, right? And you, you've, you've heard me before, but I'll say it again because these things are worth repeating, that oftentimes you hear that the explanation or the definition of a parable is, um, is uh, how, do, how, how does it go? Uh, a parable, people say, is an earthly story with heavenly consequences or heavenly realities tied to them. That's not bad. I think that's, that's pretty decent. But from what Jesus even says for himself, parables, he, he quotes the prophet Isaiah in saying that he speaks in parables so that seeing they do not see and hearing they do not understand. That is that those who do not have faith to hear rightly what he's saying will miss the entire point of the parable. You might say that's a little bit sneaky of Jesus, but the, the kingdom of God has only been shown to those whom God wills it. He says at the beginning of our text, and you may have wondered, why are we starting with this part of what Jesus says, and why don't we just go into what the lawyer is doing and how Jesus talks to him? But it is worth pointing out that our text from Luke 10 begins with Jesus turning to his disciples privately and saying, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that, that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not 
see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And even before that, he gives thanks and praise to God the Father by saying, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. And even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight, that all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. To understand the the parable of the Good Samaritan, you must know who the Father is, you must know who the Son is, and by consequence, you must know who the Holy Spirit is. You cannot understand this apart from the eyes of faith that see the things that the, the, the disciples see and that, the prof, and that they hear. So when you read this through, you hear a familiar story, but I wonder why it's so familiar. I mean, why do you think the Good Samaritan is so familiar? If not, maybe this is a bit uncharitable, but it seems like A lot of people want to harbor on the Good Samaritan because they want you to know the right thing to do, right? They want you to know what it is to be good. I mean, after all, it is the Good Samaritan, right? But should we stop there? Should we only see this parable for what it is that we should do? Because if that's the case, we're no better than the lawyer. And we're no better than those that St. Paul rails against in Galatians, where he says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring, that is Christ, should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels It was put in place through angels by, by an, 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 an intermediary. Um, and so we see here that the promise is what should be capitalized on. That if we see this without a promise, we lose sight of what the real meaning of the Good Samaritan is. What is that promise? How do we read this? We who are usually, we think we're so good at reading the law, let us read the gospel. That when we see here a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, who fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed and and left him half dead, by chance a priest was going down that road and he saw him and he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a, 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 a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Y'all have heard me capitalize on that word compassion before, and I'll do it again because it's worth repeating. That the only one who really has compassion in the Gospels, as we see, is Jesus himself. He is the only one who sees our 
horrible state who sees us dead in our trespasses and sins feels so terribly for us that he actually does something about it. No other man can save us. No other person can save us except for Jesus Christ. And yet, he doesn't come as we expect him to come. A Samaritan was a despised person. A Samaritan was someone known as a half-breed to the Jews. We see that throughout the Gospels, wherever Jesus comes into contact with a Canaanite, with a Syrophoenician, with a Samaritan, we see that these people are despised because they're seen as people who were not pure blood in a certain sense, not of a pure faith either because they perverted the one true faith in Samaria. So for this Jew, Jesus, to talk to some other Jew about a Samaritan being the good guy is beyond comprehension. And yet, that is who Jesus is. Jesus is beyond our comprehension. We would expect Jesus to come as a great prince, a great king through this world's eyes. That we would love to see him clothed in purple robes throughout his time on earth, not having to deal with small things like healing or preaching or walking to and fro wherever he would go. But he would be carried. He would be magnificent and glorious. We certainly don't want to see Jesus crucified on a cross. We certainly don't want to see our king dead. At least our flesh doesn't. And so in the same way, Jesus comes despised. And oftentimes we like to picture Jesus as a beautiful man. Oftentimes he probably just looked like some guy you wouldn't even think twice about crossing by on the sidewalk. He was in such a way that we did not esteem him as we should, as the prophet Isaiah says. And yet, even though he's someone that we wouldn't think twice about passing by on the street, he's the one who comes and binds up those wounds of sin. He's the one who comes and takes care of us. He heals us. Not only that, it doesn't just say that the Samaritan comes by and it doesn't just say, and he helped him, and that's the end of the story. It says that he binds up his wounds, pours on medicine, the wine and, and the oil. Then he set him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. A blank check, right? He goes above and beyond. It doesn't just say, he came by, helped him out a little bit, went on his way, no big deal. And in some ways, what Jesus did, what Jesus does through this parable of the Good Samaritan should make us feel even worse on some level because we see how good the Samaritan really is. And yet, when we see the Samaritan as Christ, it makes all the difference. Because we are not the Good Samaritan. Sometimes we might be that priest who passes by on the other side. Sometimes we might be that, that, that Levite who does the same. 
oftentimes we are the man who is overcome by robbers, who is beaten, stripped, and left for dead. And we need Christ more than ever. And so I don't want to just leave it there, right? Because Jesus does say something very interesting here. He does say, once he asks the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a, a neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And it doesn't, un- it, it, it doesn't stop there. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. That if all you get out of this is that we are so horrible and so sinful that we need Jesus, thanks, Pastor, see you next Sunday. That's not the end. That we who are now made new creations through Christ live according to the promise, for sure, and not according to the law as if the law would save us. But now, as new creations in Christ We see the law for how good it truly is. We see that we should love the Lord our God. And not that we just should, but now we can. Because of what Christ has done for us. We can love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind. And we can even love our neighbor as ourselves. Not because we are so good, but because Christ has done all these things. Because Christ gives us a new life. Because Christ makes it so that we can see it as something that we get to do. Not that we should, so that we would be like Jesus says, and do this and we will live. But that it is already done. And we live because of what has been done through Jesus. Through his blood shed on the cross. And his blood now flows through us. His life is now our life because he has died the death that we should die. And so likewise, we can read this also in a different way by saying, God help me not to be like those men who saw someone in need and decided that I can't do anything to help them. God help me to be the one who does something. God help me to be the one who doesn't think about, I can't do that, but to recognize it as the fact that most of the time, I don't want to. I won't, because usually there is something you can do. I don't have all the time to talk about exactly the application of these things because it takes a lifetime of wisdom to know exactly the instances when you should help someone. But if there's something that I can help y'all understand about maybe some, some kind of way of thinking about how to go about this, is that usually the moral of the story that people think that comes from this parable is when the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? People tend to say, well, everyone is your neighbor, right? Everyone. But in that way, we're being like the lawyer, but on the other foot. We're abstracting things again. Because if everybody is my neighbor, There are people starving across the world. How am I going to help everyone who's starving? How am I going to help all the people out there who are downtrodden, who are beaten up, who are left for dead? How can I help everyone out there? And so that gives my flesh more credence to say, I can't do that. 
right? So instead, I want you all to switch that around just a little bit. And instead of saying that everyone is my neighbor, instead say that, say, say that, that anyone can be my neighbor. Not everyone, but anyone can be. Whoever happens to be right in front of me, whoever happens to be right beside me, that needs my help, that needs even just a word of, of blessing. God bless you on your day. God's blessings to you and to your family. I'm praying for you. I'm bringing you a casserole when you need it, right, if you're sick. Or I'm there to hear you out when you need it. Any of those things are blessed because you see someone next to you who needs to hear the promise, not the law, but the promise when they are downtrodden. And you need to tell them that Jesus Christ loves them that Jesus Christ will never, will never leave them nor forsake them. That even though they're going through this hardship, you will do what you can to help them because God works for the good of all who love him and who are called according to his purpose. You don't even have to say that much, right? Lest I give you too much in a too heavy uh, too heavy of a, of a burden. But because Christ has gone above and beyond for you, you can go an extra mile for somebody else. And I pray that we would do that for each other and for those who just happen to fall across our path who needs that help, who needs that love that was shown to you through Christ. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, We'll guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.